turn in God's Word to the book of Isaiah, in chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. This evening we're reading verses 1 through 13. Isaiah 7, 1 through 13. And God's people, let's hear uh, the Lord's Word. Before we do that, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us, His people. Gracious Father, thankful for Your Word. We pray that You would bless us, that You would work in Your Word as it is brought to our senses. Work, faith, obedience, and love. Work, the ability according by, uh, to Your grace, to teach it, not only to our children and grandchildren, to others, our neighbors, and that we would live it out in our lives. Warn us of sin, error, and teach us the good way by Christ Your Son and to follow after Him. And we pray that You would grant us the grace to do all these things in following Christ. And humble your servant and cause us to hear you speak. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. These are God's words. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Sherar Jashub thy son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed, and be quiet, fear not. Neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of resin with Syria, and of the son of Ramalia. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia, have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah, and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tebaal. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Those are God's words. So we have here jumped forward in time, from chapter 6 to chapter 7. If you go back to Isaiah 1, verse 1, it tells us that this prophecy comes through Isaiah the prophet to Judah in the time of four kings. It says there, the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. You remember... Last time, in, last time in Isaiah 6, 
it was in the day, in the days that King Uzziah died, or in the year that King Uzziah died. But now, the king in chapter 7 is Ahaz. And that skips Jotham uh, to Uzziah's grandson, Ahaz. And I need to correct the previous date I gave you. Uh, I think I wrote it down wrong. Uh, when King Uzziah died. I think I said 739 B.C. That's wrong. It was 758 B.C. that King Uzziah died. And that's, of course, important because now we come in our passage with King Ahaz and the events that happened in this passage happened in 735 B.C. 735 B.C. And so our passage occurs in the days of King Ahaz, King of Judah. And the king, uh, uh, Judah, that is, sorry, Judah is the southern kingdom. Need to remember that. Uh, Years before this, when King Solomon reigned, right, his son Rehoboam, after Solomon died, Rehoboam was king over all Israel and Judah, one nation. But Jeroboam and all of Israel rebelled against Rehoboam because he was, you know, sinful. And uh, the northern kingdom rebelled, therefore. Israel rebelled. The northern kingdom, same thing. They rebelled. And so now there are essentially at this time two nations of which are God's covenant people. The northern kingdom, Israel, also in this passage called Ephraim. That's Israel, the northern kingdom. And Judah, the southern kingdom, the second uh, part of our second nation. And Judah, of course, is where Jerusalem is. The temple was. God's presence was. And so the northern kingdom of Israel has completely rebelled against Jehovah and they've set up their false worship and idols, etc. And they have covenant, they've broken covenant with God, with Jehovah, as we've studied covenant breaking. Also here in the context, in our passage is Syria. Syria, Israel, the northern kingdom, became threatened by Assyria, who was becoming very powerful at that time. And so they formed, Israel, the northern kingdom, formed an alliance with Syria because Assyria was becoming so powerful. And naturally, uh, what did they do? They went to Judah and they wanted to align, become a you know, have that alliance with Judah too against Assyria. And... Judah rightly refused. And so Judah refusing that alliance with Judah and Syria against Assyria, well, what do you think is going to happen? Because this is what happens in the Bible and what people do. They, Syria and Israel get upset and they attack Judah. And that's what we find in our passage. And why do they do that? Because of not only Judah not wanting to align themselves with Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, but also to to replace Judah's king with a new king from Syria. And that we read about, we're told in our passage in verses 5 and 6. It says, because Syria, Ephraim, so Syria and Ephraim, Israel, and the son of Ramalia, that is Pekah, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach there and for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tebaal. And he was from Syria. So what about the king of Judah, Ahaz? Surely for refusing to make an alliance with with Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel, surely he's a good king, right? He is not. He is an evil king. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, we are told. And sadly, it is as and why we, what we studied, we find out that King Ahaz was an ungodly king, a covenant-breaking king. We see that in our passage this evening. He rebelled against Jehovah. Second Chronicles 28. There are two passages that really provide a lot of context for this passage. One of them is Second Chronicles 28. And it says there, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. 
But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made also molten images of Baalim. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the sin of Hinnom, and burnt his children in the fire, after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria, and they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who smote him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Ramalia, slew in Judah a hundred and twenty thousand in one day, which were all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And so Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, and their alliance, they had won a major victory against Judah, the southern kingdom with King Ahaz. And some of Judah were taken away captive, Second Chronicles 28 says, to Syria, to Damascus. That was one battle. That was a great loss. But the war was not over. Syria and Israel, again, come up against Judah. And it's in Isaiah 7, and this prophecy in Isaiah 7 that communicates to us that threat of their coming up again against them. And so this in Isaiah 7 happens after 2 Chronicles 28. And yet, before King Ahaz of Judah started sending messages to whom? To get help. Maybe you can guess. It's, he, he sent help in the future from this point. In Isaiah 7, from this point in forward, he began to st- send messages to the king of Assyria to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. And so that is talked about in 2 Kings chapter 16. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, not Syria, Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord, that's the temple, kids, and in the treasures of the king's house, and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. And so Isaiah 7, our passage, seems to be between 2 Chronicles 28, when they had uh, Israel and Syria had won a great victory over Judah and King Ahaz, And before 2 Kings 16, when Ahaz sends messengers and a message to king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, to help him against Syria and Israel. The question then before us in Isaiah 7, we know the future, but put yourself into Isaiah 7. The question is, will King Ahaz and Judah turn to the Lord for help, or will he turn to Assyria to help them? Now we know what's going to happen. He's going to turn to the king of Assyria. But here, if we put ourselves into Isaiah 7, uh, we don't know that yet. And so... uh, Isaiah is being sent, the prophet is being sent by Jehovah to King Ahaz with his word to speak the word of Jehovah to King Ahaz. And so the first point this this evening, faith in the word. Faith in the word. Verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, And Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. Syria is confederate with Israel, in other words. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. 
And so again, Ephraim, Israel, and Syria are coming up against Judah again to war against it. And this was told to the house of David, this to the, to the king Ahaz and his house. And when they heard this news, like the trees that are bent by the wind, moved by the wind, they're moved. They're troubled. In, uh, in other words, they're distressed. They come with great fear. We know this because of what the Lord says in verse 4. But the Lord sends His word to Ahaz. What a gracious God we have. He sends His word to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah, verse 3. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shar Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the fuller's field. So Isaiah, he's saying, Isaiah, go to Ahaz, take your son with you. And his son's name is Shar Jashub. His name is important, as many of the names we'll find in Isaiah as we go through are very important because they teach us Something that's important. The meaning of their name shows something that's important to us to understand what's happening. And his name, Shar Jashub, means a remnant will return. A remnant will return. And remember what we just heard in the very last words of chapter 6. The holy seed shall be the substance thereof. And God's providence, His name is prophetic. There will be a people, a remaining people, to serve the Lord. So that's going into what Ahaz is going to, how Ahaz is going to respond. And he's going to respond very poorly with unbelief. But there is a promise of a preserved people. And it is King Ahaz's duty, right, as king of Judah, to make sure that Judah's future and the church's future is in the hand of the Lord. And so what should King Ahaz be doing? He should be reading God's law day and night as he's commanded to as king. He should be praying unto the Lord, Lord, help us from Syria and Israel. Save us. Deliver us. That's his duty. Covenant-keeping people. Make sure there's a preserving of the covenant people. And to glorify His name on the earth in Judah. And so Jehovah sends Isaiah and his son Shear Jashub to King Ahaz, knowing exactly where Ahaz is. He tells Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz where? At the end of the conduit. He's very, very specific. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Very specific, but not that specific at all for the God who knows all things. He knows all things. Consider that, friends, in regard to your comfort, in regard to your sin, being tempted to sin. The Lord always knows where all of you are at every moment of every day forever. He knows exactly where you are. You are never hidden from God. Nor unbelievers or covenant breakers hidden from God. They are not. The wicked in this world, they're never hidden from Jehovah. He knows exactly where you are, just as He knows exactly where Ahaz is. He knows where we are, what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, friends. And the place where Ahaz was, where the Lord... Ascending Isaiah was the place of Jerusalem's water supply, especially in time where they would have, there was uh, sieges coming up against the city, right? And so he had, Ahaz had concern. It's a good concern. War is coming. You need to make sure the water supply is in tip-top shape before the battle started. Ahaz, in other words, friends, was concerned as you yourselves are often Concerned with a myriad of things in life, even good things in life. He was concerned about the water supply. Water. We all need water. But the problem here is that he sadly had no concern for the Lord. And he was afraid of what was going to happen. He had no concern for the Lord. He, had, he was not concerned at all at seeking the face of the Lord. Not concerned enough to pray to the Lord. And so while Ahaz isn't seeking the Lord, 
He's seeking to make sure the water supply is good. And by God's mercy, Jehovah does not judge him here. He sends his word to him through the prophet, by God's grace. A word to the king, an encouraging word. It's a very encouraging word. Verse 4. And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet, fear not. Neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands. For the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and of the son of Ramalia. Jehovah says what? He says in a word picture that Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, are two tails of of smoking firebrands. Two smoldering stubs of firewood that would soon go out. That's what he's saying. Don't fear. You are fearing, verse 2, don't fear. Because I, Jehovah, will take care of them, Syria and Israel, the Lord says. They have their plans that we heard about in verses 5 and 6, right? Verse 5 again, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramali have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabaal from Syria. They want to come in, they want to destroy you, and set up their own king from Syria, Tabaal. But I, the Lord, speak, and that shall not come to pass. Verse 7. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Our God, Jehovah, who is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth and all things, He alone is able. He already knows everything about you. He knows where you are. He knows where they are. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're going to do already. He alone is able and does declare by His Word what will stand and what will not stand. What will come to pass and what will not come to pass. He alone determines which plans that men make come to pass. And which do not. Right? And think of Proverbs 16. Uh, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Psalm 33. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Think of Proverbs 19. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Right? And so the Lord's word stands forever. And Ahaz. It is not within Jehovah's plan and His counsel that the counsel and plan of Israel and Syria against you, Judah, would stand. It will not stand. And so it wouldn't stand, right? It can't stand. And their devices, their plan of destruction would not come to be. Verse 8, at the beginning it says, For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. Look at the beginning of verse 9. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. And we know Ramalia's son, Pekah. In other words, friends, as the Lord has just said in verse 7, Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Jehovah gives a reason. Verse 8, 4. This is the current state of affairs Ahaz in Syria. Verse 8. And in verse 9, at the beginning for Israel, but it will, for them, not remain that way. And Judah will not be defeated by them, but rather they will be upheld. In other words, it is in the Lord's sovereign decree and His good providence to send Syria and Israel upon Judah. Yes, that will happen. And yet at the same time, the Lord will cause Syria and Israel's attempt at destroying Judah to come to nothing, and it will actually bring these two nations to nothing. And they'll be destroyed forever. We go back, why, why did the first attack come upon Judah? Why is the second attack coming upon Judah? It's because what we read in Second Chronicles 28, what Ahaz is doing and how he's leading Judah and the abominations, murdering the children, 
sacrificing them in the fire, uh, all the false worship He was offering, all these things. That's why. But it won't stand forever. He will show mercy. And so Judah will remain. But then you look at the end of verse 8. And within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. Think of God's covenant people. We've studied covenant breaking amongst God's people and how they are covenant breakers receive eternal damnation. And here it says that those who are my people will be not a people anymore. And that should give us great warning, cause us to examine our own hearts as the covenant people of God. But Ephraim again, there's Israel and Jehovah promises those covenant breakers of the northern kingdom of Israel will be broken and they will not be a people anymore. And it is this that came to pass. Assyria invaded Israel in the north. Second Kings talks about that. You can read about that. That the capital of Israel, Samaria, the northern kingdom, was conquered. And the ten tribes, the ten tribes which were made up, Israel, the northern kingdom, they were exiled, they were taken captive. And over time then, that land of Israel was taken over by other nations as designed by the Lord for Israel's rebellion, so that Israel, so that Israel, the northern kingdom, ceased to be a people. But think of the great promises that Ahaz has just received. Good promises. Great promises. Jehovah has given him his word, and he has encouraged him and called him to believe. We've learned throughout all the Scripture that when the Lord speaks and He promises, it is. It is already, right? We can go to the great promises of the Gospel and how uh, that we even read this, this morning. How it will be raised up when He speaks it as if it is already done, right? And it is. It's so done because it's in union with Christ. That will be raised from the dead. He is faithful to all of His promises. Right now, He has never once broken His promises. Not one. You cannot come up with one that He has broken. But He utterly is He's utterly faithful always. And so His Word stands forever. His counsel stands forever. We just read in the Psalter. Right? These promises were given to King Ahaz. So that Ahaz had every reason to do what? To believe. Exactly according to what Jehovah has just promised him and told him through his prophet. And to know it was going to be so, for he is the sovereign Lord of all creation. And so he's spoken here to Ahaz that way. Consider in the passage so far how many wonderful encouragements Jehovah gives to his covenant breaker, to this covenant breaker. How many wonderful encouragements to this covenant breaker he gives to believe him, to trust in him, and to trust him at his word. And this is true generally of the gospel promises too. Because the gospel is communicated everywhere in God's word, and he grants to all who hear many encouragements, many, in other words, reasons to believe. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gives ample encouragements and reasons to sinners to believe on Jesus Christ for their salvation. He tells sinners that salvation is found in Christ alone. He tells sinners that the atonement of Christ is bearing the guilt of sin. The facts facts are made very clear in God's word what Christ does and has done. Uh, that, in other words, uh, that Christ in Christ's sufferings and His death, His dying as a substitute for guilty sinners, and that He's able to save, as we heard this morning, to the uttermost from Hebrews, all those who come by faith to God through Him. And it's in the Gospel that Jehovah commands and invites sinners to trust in Christ Jesus 
and the many promises to those who do come to Christ Jesus and seek salvation in Christ alone will be accepted and forgiven and cleansed justified and will have eternal life. As we heard this morning, they'll be healed. He speaks these things how? In what way? He speaks His Word without discrimination to all. To sinners without discrimination. The promises are given to all sinners and all that believe and trust on Christ for those promises will receive them and be accepted and forgiven and have communion with Jehovah. The promises are not merely addressed to the elect only, because then those promises would be addressed to no one, because no one knows absolutely 100% truly if they are of the elect in advance of believing. Right? No one can know that. Before they believe upon Jesus for salvation, they cannot know if they're the elect of the elect or not. The warrant, the reason, the warrant to believe is not some revelation of our individual election in or by God. It's not somehow where our elect, we being of the elect, is somehow revealed to us by God, so that then we believe. That's backwards, right? The warrant to believe, the reason to believe is the commands and the invitations and promises of the Gospel which are addressed to all sinners, elect sinners and non-elect sinners. And the fact that only elect sinners will be made willing to believe and believe does not nullify the fact that the warrant and reason to believe is addressed and is made known to all sinners in general. Otherwise, there could be no such thing as saving faith because faith rests upon the promises of God to sinners. Prior to believing, we can know that we are sinners, but we cannot know we are elect sinners. And therefore, Jehovah addresses us. He addresses His promises to all sinners indiscriminately, saying, as we heard this morning, come unto me, and I will give you rest. All who want Christ can have Christ. Doesn't the Lord say Himself, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Doesn't He say that? Of course He says that in John's Gospel, chapter 6. Of course He does. But as we heard this morning, this drawing is uh, the, the Father by the Spirit drawing the sinner to want Christ, to believe on Christ, to love Christ as the sinner ought to do. But left to Himself, the sinner will never want Christ, never believe on Christ, never love Christ. They're dead. They need to be made alive. And so all of you this evening, there's nothing... And God's Word that is blocking you, keeping you from believing in Christ, wanting Christ, loving Christ, there is only warrant. There are only good reasons to want Him and believe on Him. The Word over and over again says, Come. To everyone. Come. Come unto Him. John 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Revelation 21, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So there is abundant grounds grounds to believe. The word that is addressed to you as a sinner, just as Ahaz had to believe what the Lord, the reasons and promises, and what the Lord said to him. He had every reason to believe what Jehovah said. And so, friends, we must have faith in the word. The second point, the second point this evening, unbelief in the word. Unbelief in the word. End of verse 9. Lord speaking to Ahaz. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. It's interesting that here 
So far, the Lord has been speaking to Ahaz. And here he uses the plural, you, or ye. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. So he's speaking to King Ahaz. He's speaking to the house of David, which is King Ahaz's house, his children, his grandchildren. And line from David and those covenant promises of a forever king sitting on a forever throne from 2 Samuel 7 down through the generations where one king will come and he'll be, he'll be the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who does, not, who does now sit on the throne as king forever. And Ahaz is in that line. Of course, Judah, as Ahaz is, this is speaking to all of Judah because Ahaz is uh, standing in their place as representative, as the king. But Ahaz is in the line of David, leaving, leading the, from the promise of David, leading to Christ the Messiah to come, who would sit on the throne and who does now. He's in that line even though he's a covenant breaker. And so Ahaz, if you will not believe all these promises we put before you, the Lord through Isaiah has put before you these promises, then you will not be established. And Judah will not be established. And all these unbelieving people will not be established. Judah will be set on a course of, to ruin, right? Except for the believing remnant. And that's why Isaiah's son is there. To remind us of that, to not lose focus on that. And so as the Lord is speaking to Ahaz, He's also, uh, right, since the, the U is plural again, He's speaking to all of Judah, all the people of Judah, and yet He speaks to their king, Ahaz. God's Word is perfect and gave perfect and more than adequate grounds to believe. And as we heard this morning, without the renewing the heart of Ahaz by the Holy Spirit, Ahaz will not believe. And we see that he has no faith. Jehovah in His sovereign mercy holds out all those wonderful good things to Ahaz and many promises He gave him every good ground needed to come and believe in the Lord Jehovah, but He didn't come. He didn't believe in the Lord. He didn't trust the Lord. His heart was hardened like stone. And so Ahaz looked elsewhere. Verse 10. As we're going to learn, he'll, as we read before, he's going to look to Assyria instead of the Lord. Verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Again, how merciful and gracious is our God. Ahaz has every warrant to believe given to him by Jehovah. He gives him all his promises that he needs to believe. He doesn't believe. And Jehovah comes again. And he says, just ask a sign. It can be in the depths, it can be in the heights, in the heavens, whatever you want. Ask for a sign. He commands Ahaz, ask for a sign. From me to prove my promises are true so that you'll believe. And how common it was in Scripture to see when the Word of God came, miracles, wondrous things occurred from God to accompany His Word, to confirm His Word. We just read that in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus preached the sermon, and now He's doing His wonderful miracles, performing miracles. Why? To confirm His Word is true. To confirm He is true. He's the Messiah. Ahaz asked for a sign. Anything in the depths, the heights above, just ask, ask. Ask of me. To have the word confirmed. And Jehovah promises that He will give that sign. He will show it to Ahaz. How merciful and gracious our God is. He condescends, how, how much He condescends to us who are weak. He does this with Ahaz, the covenant breaker, who never believes on him. He gives him his promises, all the warrant. He doesn't believe, and so he comes again. That's the grace and mercy of our God. So don't think if you have faith in Christ that he won't do that for you. 
And he'll come again, and he'll come again. But he won't stop with you, covenant keeper. Faith, one who has faith in Christ. He won't stop. Ask for a sign and I'll show it so that you may believe me at my word. I'm not sure if they just set the security alarm. I might want to work on that. But Ahaz responds, verse 12, referring to Deuteronomy 6. The same verse Christ referred to when He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness that says, Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as He tempted me in Masa. Ahaz doesn't ask for a sign. Not because he already believed, but because of unbelief. The Lord sets everything before him. How could Ahaz deny it? Even gives him an extra confirming tool so that he could have faith and have more faith, but Ahaz refuses. Verse 12, But Ahaz said, I will not ask neither will I tempt the Lord. He sounds very pious, doesn't he? I wouldn't want to tempt the Lord or test Him. But even one, one's apparent piety can be filled with unbelief. Verse 13 addresses to King Ahaz and all of Judah as well. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? And here the Lord through the prophet condescending to Ahaz using this uh, describing God in human terms that he becomes weary. The idea there is that unbelief is so ingrained and so continual that it is speaking as if God, as if He were, at the unbelief, weary. Ahaz says, I will not ask. That's unbelief. Jehovah has commanded, ask of me a sign. And Ahaz responds, I will not ask. The audacity of someone when God directly says, do this, and you say, no. You might say he doesn't want the sign because he already is confident in trusting the Lord for these things. And so what you see in him and his piety there where he doesn't want to tempt the Lord, he says. He's confident in trusting the Lord for these things. But that's not at all what's going on. We know that because Ahaz walks... He did not do what was right in the sight of God. We know he's a covenant breaker. We know that he's going to go to the king of Assyria. We know he's not a believer. He does not ask for a sign because he does not want to know. He does not want the promises confirmed. He does not want the word of God confirmed. And that the Lord would be seen as faithful to his heart. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want confirmation of the truth because if he had confirmation of the truth and the promises, the warrant to believe, then that great, then the great weight of guilt would then come crashing down upon him for not embracing and believing the Lord and obeying him. And so this was an act of rebellion by Ahaz continuing in his way of covenant breaking. Now, now you might ask, you might come back and say, but, but what about the Jews? In Jesus' day, they were unbelieving when they did ask for a sign. Right? And Ahaz says, no, I will not ask for a sign. So how were the Jews unbelieving? They were covenant breakers because they did ask for a sign. When Ahaz is unbelieving and he refuses to ask for a sign. Some people might say, well, you can't win with God. Well, that's false. The Jews already having seen the signs and the miracles of the feeding of the 5,000 and many other miracles that He had done, asked Jesus, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? When He had already fed the 5,000 with 
a few loaves and right two fish. It was an excuse for taking no notice of Jesus' word and works, showing himself as the Messiah. But Ahaz didn't want to sign because if he had a sign, it would take away that excuse of taking no notice of Jehovah. And so the Jews in Jesus' time, when they weren't commanded to do so, asked for a sign when they'd seen many of them. And Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign when Jehovah commands him to ask for a sign. And that only shows us how great the depravity of the heart of man is. The depravity of the human heart. That asking for a sign by the Jews in John 6 was a way of avoiding the truth. And Ahaz refusing to ask for a sign is just another way of avoiding the truth. The Jews in Jesus' day were saying, you haven't shown us enough signs yet. That's why we don't take notice of you and don't believe on you. And King Ahaz doesn't want a sign because he doesn't really want to know and take notice of Christ anyway, or of Jehovah anyway. He wants to not believe and remain in unbelief. A sign would make that unbelief more inexcusable. And so you have some people, when you evangelize today, unbelievers, right? They say they will say, I just need more proof. It's not true unless I have more proof, more evidence. That's not true, friends. They're lying. Like Ahaz, the last thing in the world they want is proof. You can give them proof after proof after proof after proof, and what will they say? I still need more evidence. And so don't pretend, friends, that the problem is the proof. And so you need to keep going and give them more and more and more. You don't need to do that. That's not the problem. The problem lies there in who you are speaking to and the depravity of the human heart. They love darkness rather than light. We heard this morning they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They're dead. The last thing in the world they want is for the truth to be true. And so they pretend to be pious, even, we might say, scientific. They pretend to be scientific. It is a problem with the evidence you see, they say. It isn't there, they say. But we know all the science... All the actual science in the world only proves that God is real. Even Romans 1, to leave men without excuse. The problem, friends, is in the human heart and the depravity of the soul. The enmity or hostility that natural man has with the truth. Christ performed miracles. He performed many signs. And many of the Jews did not believe. Jesus said in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man in hell, and he pleads in the parable to Abraham in heaven, send Lazarus back to my brothers and give them the opportunity that they wouldn't end up here with me in hell and torment. And Jesus said in the parable, communicating in the parable, what? What did he say about his word through the parable? In this case, Abraham speaks. Abraham saith unto him, They have your brothers in your brothers. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the one in hell said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And so today, if you're an unbeliever, you don't believe the gospel promises for your salvation from your sin, the problem is not evidence or lack of it. The problem is the state of your heart. Right? There's ample promises and proof and warrants to believe on Jesus Christ for your salvation. The problem, though, is in you. And you must be born again. You need a new heart so you never, or you shall never see the kingdom of God. And on the great day of the Lord, every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. They will all, 
even the wicked, will see Him clear as day and they will know the truth and they will hate it. And hate Him forever and ever. King Ahaz's problem was not because the Word was inadequate to provide a warrant to believe, a reason to believe. The truth was there. The promise is there. All encouragement's there to believe, but he didn't want the truth to be true. And so, when offered a sign, commanded to seek and ask for a sign, he said, no, no, that's too close. I want to go on with life as it is. I I want nothing to do with Jehovah. He felt more comfortable going to a sinner, the king of Assyria, for his help than the Lord Jehovah. He felt comfortable with that plan to go to the king of Assyria for help. He didn't want God. He didn't want the church. He didn't want Christ. The things I have are just fine. I'm content with these things. And friends, we're all called here to soften our hearts today and hear the Lord's call. Free offer of the gospel, the good news, His grace to you. He gives you perfect warrants to believe in Him for salvation. Just believe. He says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful once again how gracious and merciful You are even to us who are in sin, who continue in sin, that You continue to speak Your Word to us. You continue to lay before us more and more evidences, more and more proofs of why we ought to believe. And Father, we plead that there would be none here that would stand like Ahaz and said, no, I don't want that. But Father, calls them as they are called and commanded to come, to come. And we pray that You'd be faithful as You always will be and always have been to grant rest in the souls of sinners. And those sinners would be wiped clean and cleansed in the blood of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.